The following audio content was recorded at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit upc.org. Let me pray for our time. Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given us to be here. Uh, uh, it's, uh, we don't take it for granted. Um, or we know that these uh, moments in our life um, can be very special. They can also be challenging. And, and uh, we, what we want to do is just listen to you and what you have to, to do uh, and to say uh, in our life individually, uh, in each couple here, and, and even us as a group of people, uh, Lord, because we know that where two or more gather in your name, you're there. And so uh, Sherry and I assume that we're going to see you in a fresh and new way. Uh, we're also going to see you in the old familiar way, and we're grateful for that, and we just pray that we'd all be able to as well. Lord, we realize that uh, we can have a lot of fun talking about relationship. There can be a lot of laughter. And we hope for that. We also know that there can be tears and there can be a lot of pain uh, when we talk about this stuff as well. And uh, Lord, we want to be sensitive uh, to all of that as well. And, and the bottom line, Lord, is we're just praying that over our time tonight, because uh, that's what we got for sure, but also in the, uh, the following weeks as well, that, uh, that at the end of the day, uh, we would be able to receive uh, from you this wonderful gift uh, that you have for each of us, and that in return, we'll be able to give a gift of our life lived uh, fully for you uh, back. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Well, we'll start a little bit uh, with our story. We met, uh, some of you may have heard this before, but we met at the skating rink yeah. uh, in seventh grade. Seventh grade. Was that for a cheesy romantic story yeah. that we did? We did. Seventh grade. Skating rink, Sherry came over and started flirting with me. We disagree on this a lot because she th- yeah. I, I, those of you that know me just know I'm a really friendly person. Mike looked really lonely and I just went to yeah, converse. <laughs> I was with my eighth grade boyfriend at the time. and uh, a big eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> no. So we met then. But we started, uh, nothing, 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 we didn't connected all at that point. But we uh, ran into each other in a few other moments. And then uh, before our sophomore year in high school, we started riding, I started riding my bike over to her house. Okay. Uh, and so that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of something. But, uh, but the sophomore year in high school came and I wasn't ready for a serious commitment. It's I mean, hard to imagine that school, as a 16-year-old, you wouldn't be ready for that, but he wasn't. <laughs> So uh, that was that. And then at the end of my sophomore year in high school, I saw Sherry. Uh, one day she would happen to be across the street hanging out. Uh, her mother was a real estate agent. She was doing an open house on a house that my brother had built. So uh, she was there, and I invited her over to see our newly built house and asked her if she would go to prom with me, and she said yes, and we've been dating ever since. Oh, so no, it's crazy. Eric Clapton, You're Wonderful Tonight was the theme. That was the theme. You guys know that song, right? Anybody sing it? You guys want to sing it with me? Yeah. No? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we dated six years. We dated for six years. And got married in 1986. So we celebrated our 26th anniversary in the summer, and so... We, when we add all that together, it's 32 years of being together. So we've been in this relationship a long time, a lot longer than we've been apart. So it's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. So think about that. Yeah. And as some of you know, and we don't know where you all come in here tonight from a faith perspective, uh, but we, we, when we dated our first three years of dating, we were not 
followers of Jesus, church faith was not a part of uh, our life, uh, and then it became a part of our life in college. And so it was a, it was a pretty radical transformation for us to go from uh, a typical kind of American, red-blooded American relationship to people that were trying to make sense of their faith and follow Jesus. And so a lot of our, our, our early learning and relationship came just through that challenge of trying to make sense of that as well. We now have three children as well. We actually have uh, two college students. So some of you that remember us from your college days are probably going to start feeling old right now too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Olivia is a junior here at the UW. Lily's a freshman at uh, SPU. And our youngest daughter, Sophia, is a senior in high school. So we're preparing to be empty nesters next year. Yeah. So we're preparing for another big transition yeah. of life. That'll make you get a little emotional. Uh, you no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so while you guys are sitting here at this you know, early stage of your relationship, we're meeting with couples that have gone through the empty nest stage. Because that's, right. that's the stage we're learning. Yeah, now. we're like, so, tell us what it's like. Tell us how we're going to get through Yeah, this. what are we going to do? Are we going to really like each other and hanging out with each other and... Well, first of all, we want to just kind of set the stage a little bit. So there's a, you're going to get a lot of information tonight only because if you do come back for the other two weeks, we want to kind of lay some of the groundwork. Uh, there's a lot uh, of stuff, but uh, we, want to, we want to just start by, first of all, um, just saying way to go, way, way to be here. Right. Uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. I mean, showing up is, is key to relationship, period. You know, it's key to your relationship with God. It's key to your relationship with your spouse. It's key to your to friendships. It's key to church life. It's showing up. Just you got to show up. And so we want to just start by saying kudos for for showing up, because one of the things that we know that happens at your stage stage of the relationship. Now, how many of you have been married um, under five years? Okay, so okay, we got that squared away. Everybody is under three years. Okay, uh, under two. Under one. Okay, great. So one of the things that one of the things that happens. Wait, I think it'd be fun to see who's who's the most recent wed in the who, room. Under six months. Under, under one month. Under one month. Under two months. It's either Annika or wait. one month and five days. Okay. Woo. Wow. Congratulations. Um. Here's, here's the thing. What, we noticed something. When we were, when we were in, um, we, used to, we lived in Colorado uh, for, for about six years. We were in a small group uh, with some other young couples that um, recently married but no children. And uh, one night, just the gal showed up in our small group. And she was there, and uh, her husband wasn't there. And she started talking about how uh, about this move to New York uh, and how he had moved to New York. And we're like, well, you mean you guys moved to New York? And she was like, no, he moved to New York. We're getting a divorce. And we're like, holy smokes, we've been in this couples group with these people. We knew nothing about this. We knew nothing that there was a problem in the relationship. And, and it was kind of through that. That was only the kind of the tip of the iceberg. But of what we had discovered and noticed about other couples that we were friends with and people we had known over there. And I would say even for ourselves to some degree is what we call the super couple syndrome. That a lot of times young couples get caught up in this idea that I want to present to the world around me that we, our relationship's great. You know, our, our, our marriage is wonderful because the last thing you want is after one month and five days is to be going, sucks <laughs> to be married. Now, 
Now, Ryan and Julie have been married long enough to kind of go, moments suck. But, you know, you don't want to say that within the first month, maybe in the first year, maybe in the first... So you kind of have this, what we call the super couple syndrome. We're going to paint this picture to everybody around us. That You know, we kind of got things together and things are looking pretty good. And, and uh, all the while underneath it, other stuff is happening and going on. One of the ways in which this even showed up is I remember one time uh, a gal that, was, that had been part of the, the college group, the inn, um, came in and wanted to meet... Um, and she, she was really concerned. I had done their wedding. I had done premarital. She didn't, didn't know what to do. The bottom line is, is that something that Ryan brought up earlier, their sex life was terrible. Like she, and, and she goes, I just don't know what to do about this. And where should, you know, how, how do I handle this? And I said, well, first of all, make sure your husband's in here next time talking to me about this. This is not probably the best thing for you and I just to be talking about. I said, but... You're probably not the only one. She goes, no, no, I go to my core. I have a core group of gals. I was a core group together. We were a core group in college, and now we're still a core group a few years out of college. And they talk all the time about how their, their, uh, their sex life is awesome. And I stopped, and I said, now remind me, you know, who's in your group? And she starts referring to the people in the group. Two of the people that were in, two of the women that were in her group, with their husband were in my office within the last two months talking about the same problem. I said, well, I know at least two other couples that aren't. I just can't be the one who reveals that. So you might want to go back and start having your little core group be a little more honest about the challenges and struggles that are going, super couple syndrome. So. And uh, I think the other reason why we're so glad we're here is because now is the perfect time of your life, and you've already begun this process of establishing your habits and routines, and you really have the most time and space of energy that you're going to have for a long, long time. And we can say that with truth, because once children come into your life, your life changes dramatically. And so this is just the perfect time to kind of set the stage for the next chapter of your life. I remember... Um, one of my mentors was Mike's predecessor here, Denny Ryberg, and I remember Marilyn saying, you know, there's something about those first few years of marriage that are a lot like your first few months of having a baby, where that bonding that occurs is so critically important. And that really needs to be one of your primary goals as a newlywed, and they were in our lives at the time. And so I just really think that this, these first years of your marriage are so tender and so important as far as this bonding process and kind of discovering what do we want our lives to be uh, about together as a couple. Yeah. And then the third, third kind of foundational thing here is that it's important that we don't put the issues that we are facing on the back burner. Okay, uh, and so even in light of what I, the comment I made earlier about the, the small uh, small group situation, we don't. There's some things that are, are beginning to become issues. They're starting to burn for you. Don't put them on the back burner. Keep them on the front burner. It's important for us, and that's part of what, what will hopefully happen a little bit with our time. Is some of that stuff will be able to come out uh, and be put on the front burner for you and begin to work on it today. I mean, Sherry and I stand here after 26 years of marriage, and we we have a, a pretty healthy marriage and, and, a, and a marriage that, that, that we enjoy. But uh, don't get the impression that when we're sitting in your shoes, it was all rosy and perfect and easy. It was There was a lot of work, and there were a lot of various issues, and some of that stuff is going to be things that we, we bring out um, during our our time. And so I want to emphasize as well that if as we bring things to your attention, if the issues are, 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 are severe, okay, um, and what I mean by that is it's kind of beyond maybe what can happen for you here in a classroom like this. Uh, uh, you know, an hour here or there 
in a setting like this that may be deeper, thicker, uh, by all means, you know, Ryan and Janie and myself and Sherry can guide you and direct you to the kind of help that you might need. And that very well can happen. And I know that because I have worked, I've probably done about 200 weddings. We've counseled hundreds of more couples over the years. And we do know that there are some issues that once they get pulled to the front burner might require something more than this. All right. So, so um, before we tell this, when we decided what we, we were deciding what we wanted to talk about with you for these three weeks, we, we kind of went to the things that we feel like trip up couples the most. You know, like Mike said that he's done a lot of weddings, and so we know what the reoccurring themes are. What are the things that are tripping people up in their first few years of marriage? So tonight, like most of you came in, I don't even know what you're talking tonight, but about tonight, but I'm here. So tonight we're going to talk about the process of leaving and cleaving in mm -hmm. our families of origin. And then next week we're going to talk about hot and heavy, developing intimacy. And then the third week we're going to talk about investing and inviting our oneness and purpose in marriage. So those are the three topics that we're going to be talking about in the three weeks that we have the privilege yeah. of talking to you. We know you might not be able to come every week or not. I know they're taping it, but also just to um, kind of know what's happening and track with us a little bit. But we, 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 we start, we're going to start with a story to give you a little bit of perspective and to, to, to help you guys realize that we're, you know, we're, we're with you. We're, we're on your level. Well, I think, you know, some of you know us, and, okay, I, I've had a friend tell me, the pro this is the problem with occasional mentors. People that you occasionally see, people like us, you can kind of have an elevated view of them. And so we felt like, let's just shoot that out of the water right from the get-go. So we were doing a little conference, the thing we used to do called Before You Buy the Ring. Okay, and this is for... Uh, people, anyone, did anyone go to it? Did anyone go to Byron? Uh, the oh, Saldanos one. Okay. So, and, uh, and we've also called it, like I think we did here a couple years called Healthy Relationships, but it was pre-marriage, okay? So we did these things. We did it for t about 20 years of our life. We did these things. Anyway, we're in Colorado. We're doing this, and we're putting this whole thing on. We've got, I don't know, 30 couples that have been a part of this thing, and it was a whole weekend. It was Friday uh, night. It was all day Saturday, and it was, you know, we're, we're sharing our wonderful young, youthful wisdom with these couples uh, that were just dating, but, you know, and are engaged. So we do this little conference, we get done, and we have our little daughter, Olivia, at the time. She's just a little baby, she's just a brand new little baby. And we go pick her up, and we, we decide that we need to go to the store, and so we go by a store, it used to be called Best. I don't know if you guys ever remember if they were around where we were like, but it would be like a little like, bit like a Target. Like a Target or, or something. So we, we drive, so we're driving there, and meanwhile, so we've left the place, gone to pick up our daughter, we're driving, and we're getting having one of those moments where we just kind of keep needling each other, like saying little yeah, things. You know what we're talking about? Like we're just little jabs back and forth at each other. We're not really getting along, you know. Remember, we just got done doing this old awesome, premarital awesome, thing. Awesome, awesome, Awesome. <laughs> and we're, 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 pick, we're kind of just, uh, you know, and it's, and it's building. You can feel it building in the car and as, as, it, as it's going along. And then, and of course, we don't, we don't remember at all what it even was all about, but we're, it's just getting heated in the car. And we pull into the parking lot. And I get Olivia out of the car seat, and something else was said, and something else was said back, and something else was said. And finally, I'm kind of far away from Sherry, and, and, uh, and I dropped the F-bomb. I said, F you. I've never said that before to her. Or since. And I never said <laughs> Or since. At least within my earshot, it has not happened. 
Yeah, yeah, not in your earshot. That's a good distinction there, maybe. <laughs> I said that, but it's not over here. So I said that to her. He's holding Olivia. And I've got I'm... Olivia over. And I am red. I mean, my hair has gotten lighter as I've gotten older, but I used to be really fiery redhead. So I was like livid, livid. So I come over here, and I used to wallop him across the oh, ear. Oh, slap me, smack me I upside grab the head. Olivia yeah, and abuse, going, call. Give me my baby. <laughs> And, and my sense. ears like ringing. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it was pow. <laughs> ears ringing. It's, and, and I was like, fine. And I was like, you can just drive home. I'll walk home. I was like, it was a 20-minute drive to my home. I wasn't going to walk home, you know, but it's like, fine. And, uh, and I was proceeding to go into Best. When I look, and this whole thing, though, so this whole thing's happening in the parking lot, and I look, and there's this, there's this little old couple, you know, in a car, looking at us. <laughs> And all I, can think, all I can think is like, that young couple needs to go to a marriage conference. <laughs> <laughs> now we just put one on. Yeah. So. That was one of our proud moments. Yeah. It took us a few years to tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we don't know where you guys are at. Some of you might right now be going, we're leaving, because yeah. we're not going to stay listening to these guys. Um, but, that's, but that's the truth. So um, we want to start, right, with a project, right? Yeah. So not we'll, start. We've already started. We're going to move to a project. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So um, we wanted to take you back to the day you got married. And uh, we were actually just, One like, Mike did a wedding just last weekend, and um, so we thought this would be a good place to start with um, trying to recall your vows, because in our experience, we say our vows on our wedding day, and we pretty much file them away and don't really think about them or look at them again. So this project, we put uh, on this sheet, we put kind of the standard traditional vows, so we're going to see how well you can remember the vows that you made to one another. Good to see you. You each should have a paper. We'll find it. Are there any extra papers laying around? Not so much for the first project, probably, but or no, yeah, you, for the first project. You see, see how well you can remember them by yourself. Tell me, there's one more. Wow. Oh, I didn't grab all the sheets. Hi. Okay. Everybody's got one? Over there. There you go. Okay. Good. Nice job. 
Anybody else remember him? Getting close to him? Interesting, huh? Like, I know some of you might not want to raise your hand because you don't like talking in class, which is like I'm that way. I was sitting there. Now, we were just talking about this is the biggest promise that we've made, and we struggled to, to think back to what we actually said and promised that day. And uh, how crazy that is. It's the most important promise that you've ever made, and yet it's hard to remember exactly what the promise was. So that was one of the homework assignments we had for you is to either find your videotape or your audio tape and listen to, listen to your vows and talk, talk or to assess how you're doing with the vows. How do you feel like you're doing upholding the vows that you made to your spouse? Yeah, um, what needs improvement with them? And what do you think she's, but just do that if you get a chance. Go back, and if you go, well, wait, we didn't audio tape it or videotape it, then call your pastor and find out uh, if, he, if he has them sitting there. So um, I, it, it, Swamp Ryan Church, if all of you guys had Ryan Church to you. <laughs> one of the vows that we had. Um, I want to take a minute, uh, I'm going to read for you the story that uh, probably you've heard before out of Genesis chapter 2 um, about leaving and cleaving. And so listen to, uh, to the scripture here. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 15, and read to the end. Um, and and the, the only thing that I want to say before this, um, a lot of people say, well, there's chapter 1, chapter 2, there's two different creation stories, and there's not two different creation stories. The first is, crea- is, a, is a proclamation of creation. God is, there's this grand statement of how God speaks creation into being. And the second chapter is more of a description of one aspect of that creation. Um, namely, you might say, of, of uh, the... Um, how, how man and woman come together and, and, the, and the, the role that they play in creation uh, in regards to the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and whatnot. So, but I'm going to start in verse 15. It says this, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. Okay, so the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord God gave him this warning. You may freely eat any tree in the garden um, except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. And now, now listen to this, because it, it's, it's as if it said, um, and in light of this instruction, to care for creation, okay, and live within this boundary, okay? In other words, tree of knowledge, basically let God be God, you're not going to be God. That's the essence of what... You, people say, what's knowledge good and evil? It's like, bottom line is you can't handle it. Only God can handle it. So God's saying, look, you can eat from any tree you want, including the tree of life, but you can't eat of this tree because you can't handle it. You can't be the one in charge of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. Okay? So that's the essence of it. And so then said, God said, in, in light of that, it's not good for the man to be alone. In light of this instruction, it's not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a companion who will help him. So the Lord God formed from the soil every animal and bird. He brought them to to Adam to see what he would call them, and Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to livestock, birds, and animals, but still there was no companion suitable for him. The Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. At last, Adam explained, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called a woman because she was taken out of a man. Now this is the next line. This explains 
okay, we just heard, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and Eve and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Genesis chapter. Is this me? Am I talking? Am I the one who's still talking? So the question is: is one of the things we want to start with here as we come out of Genesis is is what is happening when we marry? Okay. If you notice on the piece of paper in front of you, you'll see two things. Okay, you'll see at the top what is called the questions of intent. Oh no, I'm sorry. Called the question of intent. Okay, um, or, and this is a statement that we're making at the beginning of our wedding ceremony. Okay, now again, for most of you, you just whizzed right through it. You don't remember most of the day. It was just whirlwind pictures. You know, something that went wrong, the reception. But you don't realize what happened. When Ryan stands up there to perform a ceremony, or most any other pastor does, they're going to ask you a question that you really, you aren't looking at your spouse about. So when Sherry and I are standing there, Ryan's going to ask us a question. He's going to say to, he's going to ask me a question. Mike, do you come here freely? Offering yourself and receiving Sherry as your wife according to the commands of God in holy marriage. Do you? And I say I do. Okay? In other words, this is not a commitment I'm making to her. It's a commitment I'm actually making to God with the pastor directing this question. Okay? I make it in front of the pastor, in front of my spouse, in front of my whole community. But it's a commitment I'm making, as I like to say, a commitment to the commitment. In other words, there's two commitments that we're making when we get married. We're making a commitment to the commitment. Okay? That there's this thing that's happening, this institution, if you will, that God created, that God started in the very beginning. And yeah, you can look at Genesis, beyond Genesis throughout this book, and see all kinds of other crazy things happening in marriage. But the original design, which Jesus goes back to in Matthew 19, by the way, you want to go and study that and read it, he reaffirms the Genesis chapter 2 story, okay? And he says, that, he says again, and he adds the, the line that you probably also had in your, at your wedding ceremony when he, when he said, and what God has joined together, let no one separate, okay? In other words, Jesus adds an extra emphasis upon that Genesis 2. In other words, you're making a commitment to the commitment. Separated from my wife and this beautiful, gorgeous woman that I'm marrying, I'm standing before my God and saying, I'm committing freely a decision to live into this this to becoming one flesh, okay? This leaving one covenant relationship and moving into a new covenant relationship. It's a commitment to the commitment. The second thing that you'll see on there then becomes the vow that we are. So the pastor will turn you at that point in time. You'll hand your flowers, right? <laughs> over to somebody. Guys don't have to hand anything over. And we're just, why don't guys carry flowers in weddings? Never know. So anyway, I'm glad, but I don't know why. But then we look at each other, and now we're going to make a vow to each other. I'm making a commitment to Sherry, and Sherry's making that commitment to me, right? So we have the commitment to the commitment, and then we have the commitment to the person. Okay. The vertical commitment and the horizontal commitment. Vertical commitment and a horizontal commitment uh, that is happening in the relationship. So um, one of the things that we talk a lot at Before You Buy the Ring about is this commitment being a covenant rather than a contract. And probably you've spent some time thinking about that. It's pretty clear in Scripture that marriage is a covenant. It's uh, a commitment that we make 
Um, and it doesn't really depend on what the other person chooses to do in return. Like when you say your vows, you're pledging what you and you alone will do. You don't mention the fact that if your spouse doesn't do X, Y, Z, then I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. Well, we don't know that. Maybe some of those pe Maybe people your vows didn't that say that. Vows. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you put that in yours. Ours didn't say that. But that is so often how we approach marriage uh, we, we approach it often as though it's not a covenant. We approach it a lot as more if it's a contract. And, um, you know, when, when, we, when we get ready to do something this, like, I always feel like it's a great checkup for us, but it's also a great opportunity for me to read something new, think fresh about something. So I've been reading this book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. I don't know if any of you read it, but I thought it was very interesting. And one of the things he says, he even takes the contract concept a little bit further, and he says we approach marriage as consumers. And I think that there's really nothing that could be more true or explain how quick people are to dissolve their marriage today because they go into it saying, this marriage, if this marriage doesn't meet my needs, then I'm out of here. And we see that happen all the time, right? So I think a good way to contrast them would, would be to say that a covenant puts the relationship over individual needs consumer will put their individual needs over the relationship. Say that again. A covenant puts the relationship over the individual needs. A consumer puts the individual needs over a relationship. And we see that all the time. We shop around, like we maybe have a loyalty here, but as soon as someone else has a better sale, we're over there. You know, as a consumer, we just shop around for whatever works best for us. That's not how a covenant is, and that's not how we approach this institution, but it's pretty tempting, and we fall, our, we fall into that all the time as um, spouses. At least we can tend to do that. Yeah. I like Dr. Laura. She used to be real popular. I don't know if she's even still on the radio, but what she said. Yeah, Dr. Laura. Yeah. She, she defined commitment as, she'd say, true commitment is. Deciding. Deciding to. Gosh, now I've quit. <laughs> he just blanked it. Yeah. I know. True, true commitment is choosing to uphold. To behave the way. To behave the way you promised to behave now that the mood in which you made the promise has changed. So it's behaving, See, I the listen way, to you. behaving in the way you promised to behave now that the mood in which you made the commitment has changed. And I think that that's really true. Yeah. So we're making a commitment to a covenant relationship with another person. So that's what's important to keep in mind here. Things, again, that you know, that it's not about my fulfillment and my happiness. It's about, it's about mutual development and growth. You decide to marry, you, and here's, here's the emphasis. When you've decided to marry this person, you've chose your number one ministry and priority in your life. It's no longer your job. It's not a job. It's, it's, it's not... The family you're leaving, it's not your children, it's not your church, you've chosen the number one commitment that you've made in your, in your life, and that's important to hear. Second thing is, what, one of the things that we'll often hear people say is that, that, is that I found my soulmate, and, I, and, that, and that's fine, you know, and maybe you have, but what's more important to understand from the Genesis passage is that it's not the discovering a soulmate as much as it is becoming soulmates with somebody. It's a decision that we have to live into something that we've been given as a gift. Okay? 
And so Adam was given Eve as a gift, and it's a decision to live into that decision uh, to be soulmates with, with one another. And, we, I mean, we found that most often you'd want to marry someone, or we hear people all the same time say, oh, I, I will like this person because they don't try to change me, and I think that that's true. We always advise people, don't marry someone and hope that you're going to change them because there's no guarantees of that. But the truth is that marriage is all about changing us, right? The whole institution of marriage is supposed to make us more Christ-like. So hopefully we're, we're all changing. Hopefully in the one and a half months that you've been married, you already are a little different. And hopefully you can look back to who you were on your wedding day and go, I feel like I'm, I'm evolving. I am changing. I'm becoming more Christ-like because this institution that I committed to is hard and I have to be more selfless and I have to be more giving and I have to think about someone before I think of my own needs. So hopefully that is happening for you because it is about changing. Right. And then there's a third aspect that comes out of this passage of Scripture and that's what we call, I call agreed upon stewardship. In other words, Adam was created okay, to steward the earth. If you read Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter, when it just talks about God created the male and female, in his image he created them, and he told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, to steward the earth, that it was it was a statement made to both of them equally, that their, their goal is, is so we, Sherry and I have this responsibility outward, okay, so we have a covenant relationship we're making between God and uh, vertical and horizontal, but then we, and, and, and we're, and that's our commitment um, to grow into this oneness with each other, this to become soulmates with one another, to grow into oneness. But in doing so, we then also look outward to become stewards of the creation around us. It's a commitment we have together. And so God weaves us together and grows us together so that we then begin to look out and decide what is it that we're going to do. How are we going to steward the world and the creation? The part of, whatever part of it that God has given us, what are we going to do together? And what is it that we can do because we're together better than we could do individually apart? And that's what we're going to talk a lot about the third week. Yeah. So with that, we want to move more specific. We're going to get really, really practical here as we keep moving, moving along here, okay? Because what we want to do is specifically get into the dynamics that may be causing some of us some tension, maybe some of us some joys as well when it comes to leaving and cleaving, okay? So what does it mean as we leave and cleave? But let's just talk about it as a group for just a minute. And I know some of you don't like to talk off the cuff. Um, and so what I'm going to ask is if you just take one minute Okay, to, to, with your partner, and to talk about what does it mean to leave and what does it mean to cleave. You don't have to get into specifics. Don't like start getting into family issues or stuff like that right now. Okay, just generally speaking, what does it mean to leave and what does it mean to cleave? Okay, for a man to leave his father and mother and to cleave to his wife. Just generally, just talk about it amongst yourselves, the two of you. Do you want? Uh, so, um, first, first place of advice or first place to go to for input uh, right I was clearly instructed that I could not be the one who wrote on the board over there so I just want to let you know not by me by Ryan <laughs> yeah Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's very different than the for the most part the biblical culture where you'd have moved 
you never would have moved. Matter of fact, I was in Nicaragua last week. You live in Nicaragua, you're not going to move out of your family's house. To Matter of fact, the question I asked several couples was, how did you decide which family you then moved in with? I mean, so that was even different. I mean, they just can't afford it. I mean, so, it, but which family are you going to live with? So who had to move out and move in? But, you know, but in this culture, yeah, you've got, uh, wedding I did last weekend, Julie Marks. Some of you guys know Julie, but Julie's 32 years old. She's lived on her own for a long time. Yeah, there's a leaving of a whole independent world that you got to deal with. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bringing the two traditions together. Yep. Yeah. Place of loyalty, yeah. Good stuff. Other things? I got this down, man. We're done. We got it. We don't have to talk about anything. Well, one of the things that we want to do here uh, now is just talk a little bit again to put some things in perspective. And and um, on the flip side, there's don't turn it over yet, but there's going to be another project that 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 we're going to do. Um, but um, what I we want to talk a little bit about our own family dynamics a little bit. A lot of this is going to come out through this, but we come from very different families and. Um, like, for example, my parents were married for 53, my parents have passed away, but they were married for 53 years uh, in our family. So my parents divorced when I was really young. My mom remarried, and my dad's remarried four times. Very different. I'm the youngest of nine kids. I'm the oldest of five kids. My parents could actually be her parents' parents. Like Her parents went to high school with my older brothers and sisters. I come from a very, uh, what might, you might call traditional family. We could be on an episode of Modern Family. <laughs> True. We are orderly in my family. We are very chaotic. And, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so, um, and uh, we in our fa family kind of value uh, privacy. My family doesn't know the definition of privacy. <laughs> they, uh, they don't, no. <laughs> no. You gotta be careful what you share uh, in Sherry's family. So it might be everybody's business. My family it tends to be a little bit more passive. My family is very aggressive. My family are savers. We are spenders. <laughs> and we're relatively safe. And we love risk. So that's perspective, and we could go on a lot longer, lot longer than that on that. But here's the thing. Most family things that we just talked about are really differences, and they're not good or bad, right? Now, they may have extreme elements that can not be very healthy in either direction, um, but they're not necessarily good or bad. They're just simply differences. And so what we would say about differences is that the reality is we, we resonate most with what's familiar to us. 
So because our family style is most familiar to us, it's easy for us to think that that's what's best or right. Because usually we think what is most familiar and comfortable is what is best and right. So it's really difficult to be objective about it because it's... Yeah. Well, like when Sherry's family just, you know, is extravagant on birthdays, you know, and there's millions of presents and there's multiple cakes. Like how many cakes do you need at a birthday? You need one, maybe, if you even need that, right? (laughs) In my family, you got one present on your birthday. Nine kids. And uh, and I remember one birthday party my entire growing up. And my family sounds like they're duds. They're not. My family's really fun. (laughs) But... You know, They're the dad family. Yeah, uh, but, but but that's a good example of where you you know when I started seeing how much like overboard birthdays were, I was like, this is wrong. Like this is like, you know, this can't be. This. And I'm like, does anyone care that it's you know? Birthday? Yeah, you know, <laughs> total differences. And but but it's also a good example where for us, where I kind of was like began to go, I like the way they do birthdays better. I just and said, I began like, to see that. Getting more gifts doesn't mean that you're more appreciative. Like, it's better to have the one thoughtful gift than the zillions of gifts that begin to feel, like, repetitious after the fourth sweater (laughs) or the tenth sweater. Yeah, or, like, every, you know, for years I got sandals every every birthday because my birthday's in the summer, and I looked at my mother-in-law at one point and was like, hmm, I don't wear the, we live in Seattle. How many pairs of sandals do you need? But okay, so that's like a lighter example, but we were going to talk a little bit about how this, this um, works with our communication style, because I, we talked about my family being more aggressive, and so we want issues solved in that moment. Like, we're kind of fiery, we get mad easy, but we're over it super fast. So we get mad, we blah, we say it, it's out there. A lot of times we regret it, but we forgive <laughs> each other fast, and we're moving on, you know? And so... Most people are like, wow, what just happened, you know? It's kind of crazy. But that's not at all how Mike's family deals with it. No, no. We're going to pull back a little bit, right? And we're going to think through this. And we're going to kind of look at all the angles, you know? And then we're going to come up with our 10 reasons why we're right. (laughs) And then we'll come back and engage the conflict. Anybody have that kind of family dynamic? Some of you get knowledge and that stuff. So conflict, you know, and, and so Sherry... Bam, now, deal with it and get over it. Me, sit back, you know, don't engage, you know, count to 10 or 100 or, you know, count for 10 days if you have to. And then you can re-engage the conflict later. A little bit conflict avoidance. I mean, some of that was I did grow up in an alcoholic home. So that's actually, a, uh, you know, a trait of, of, of al- alcoholic homes too. So we come into this world where on one hand it's like, bam, now, and, and, and she finds me pulling back. Um, on, on, on the, in the conflict area. And so we're, we're coming in with two things. That, now, in some ways, we, when we make fun of something or make light of something like we do, we, we, well, first of all, we've really learned that in most cases in, in where our relationship and our family dynamics and our personal dynamics are different, just different, not right, just different, they become great sources of humor for us. If they're not sources for humor for you yet, let us be an example, because they will be. Things we would get in fights with and be mad at each other for three days are now things that we just, are some of the funniest things we talk in front of you about when we joke about them. They really are funny to us. We've come to really see them that they really just are things that are different about us, okay? Her conflict style, though, can be 
troublesome, and so can mine. <laughs> it can be it can be hurtful, but mine can also be very difficult because it can cause you to never engage the conflict, right? So there's these extreme dynamics, but having to come together to a place where we recognize what's negative or bad, but coming to another option around that. Right. At first, I think when we were first married, I was very frustrated, just like, you know, I want to put up my dukes and fight, and Mike's like not wanting to fight back. I was like, why aren't you talking to me about this? Well, how come you're not telling me how you feel? And he's like, I don't know how I feel. It's like, how could anyone not know how they feel? <laughs> it was like foreign concept to me. And uh, we all know how we feel. And uh, so it's taken a Ladies, while Ladies, if you take nothing else home tonight, take that home. <laughs> It's true, most of your guys don't know what they're feeling a lot of times. So. <laughs> or they just have one feeling. And so that's next week's topic. All that to say, it's taken us a long time to kind of negotiate some of these. And so some of you might not think in 26 years you're still going to be dealing with some of these family of origin issues, but you will. It will be better if you, if you deal with some of these things now because in-laws and those families can be a tremendous blessing. And we know that in-laws always get a bad rap, but it's... Our situations for their challenges, it's been way more life-giving than draining to both mm -hmm, of us. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep current on the issues as they rise. And a, a great point was brought up, and that is that even though we may refer a lot of these things back to family of origin dynamics, you have to keep in mind that, that a family of origin like Sherry's, where, there's a, where, there's, where, there, where the, the handling of conflict is very immediate and direct, could also cause you to go the total opposite direction. See, so you could be coming into a family never wanting to fight, and never want because that's all my family did was fought. So you can you can react to it totally different. So you could find yourself living on your own for the last ten years, get married and come in a relationship, and you have patterns. Those patterns will have been influenced though still by your family of origin, what you grew up with, and the experiences you had, the losses that you had. Uh, the, the, the joys that you had will still influence those dynamics. Sherry and I, for example. Sherry's parents divorced, as she had mentioned. Dad married four different times. My parents were married for 53 years, but never had a marriage that I would ever have wanted. Now, I admire my parents greatly for, for multiple things, but, but and Sherry and I will often talk about there's a difference between a marriage that survives and a marriage that thrives. And we came into our relationship, we want a marriage that thrives. We don't want to settle for survive. And in the current culture that we live in today, there's just a lot of others that end up dying. They just give up altogether, right? See, my parents were that generation that they survived. They, they're they're going to stay together. We, that's not what we wanted. We wanted something that thrived. That was actually a decision from both of ours challenging family dynamics that were around us that influenced the decisions that we made. Um, what we want to do is we're going to take you through a series of things that helped us leave and cleave. Okay, now I know a lot of information, you guys, that you're getting, but we're going to give you a little bit of a project. Some of this stuff, hopefully there's enough just anecdotal stuff with our own life that you can kind of sit back uh, on this a little bit. But the first thing is this, Sarah. That your family's sitting next to you. And I think that that, the first couple of years, that's a big change of the way you think about your family. That your family, the person sitting next to you is now your primary family. I remember um, the day after we get married, getting up in the morning in the hotel and going to breakfast and having the hotel workers say, oh, good morning, Mrs. Gaffney. And I'm looking around like, oh my gosh, she's here, you know? And it, it took me a while I realized, 
oh yeah, I'm her, that's right, you know? And um, so it, it takes us a while to really begin to see us as family, but this is your new family. These, this is the person that's sitting next to you. So this is our family. It's not really my family anymore. It's our family. This is our family. This is we go, the start yeah. of your family. We go from my to our family. And so take a look at your significant other. And if you're not here with your significant other, you can imagine her or him. But look at each other for a minute, and 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 say, you know, kind of acknowledge that to each other. Yeah, this is this is that because can be the challenging thing for a lot of us. And someone and someone mentioned, what um, did you guys mention that this is now the first person that you share your joys and sorrows and disappointments and all of that with? And that takes some transition because for some of you, you still want to call your mom. Or your dad, or someone else, and it takes a while to realize. No, this is the first person that should get to hear these things from me. Sure, you know when the game gets a little crazy, okay, and um, all of a sudden the other team's up twenty-one nothing. You kind of have to pull back and remember the game plan a little bit, and remember what's going on. It sometimes helps. So keep in mind when we started, we said we're glad you're here because you're setting patterns. For yourself, okay? But that's what, that's what you're doing, okay? You're setting patterns for yourself. You move into the, the, this, 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 this us thing, this new family over time. It doesn't happen on the wedding day. It's, it's the, these are the patterns you're setting up to get to a place where when we talk about family, we're talking about us. We're not talking about that other thing. That we're, family is now primarily about us, okay? And then we have to stop and, re and remember that that's the first thing, that that's the pattern that you're moving into and deciding on. So that 20 years from now, this is true, okay? And I know for some of you, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, this is the difference. Sherry and I went through some very difficult things in the last few years of our life with our kids and, and some challenging things. And we're absolutely convinced that, that what got us through was, the, was, was what we did years ago, not what... You know, just what we're doing today. We built the right patterns. You know, one thing I think we need to go back to because we left this out is when we were when we were talking about this this leaving thing. We said, "What what are we leaving? What are we really leaving?" And what we were talking about is we leave this relationship where we're primarily cared for, oh, right? right. Yeah, we're a place where we're a dependent. We're being cared for, and our needs are being met. And we're moving into a relationship now that we're caring about and we're cultivating. We're, we're cultivating, and now that's primary. So we're moving from one of being a dependent, where we're cared for, to being a person who's caring, right? Caring for another. And that's a big shift. So that's what really we're leaving. And we're still in that relationship, but we're moving out of being a dependent in that relationship and being a person who's only cared for in that relationship. Does that help you make sense of that? Okay. So number two, decisions. They, they have a lot of numbers. Decisions are made. Decisions are made. And you guys got this too. That was This is on the board. You guys caught this already. Decisions are made and traditions created by the two of you as a couple. And on the um, your, the back of your sheet, the back of your page that you already page filled out. Page two, project two. Um, we put a quote because we thought this was really good about leaving because this really encapsulates a lot of the what we want to say about it. When you marry, 
You commit to becoming a new decision-making unit and to developing new patterns and ways of doing things. If you rigidly impose the patterns that you saw in your own family rather than working together with your spouse to create new ones that fit for both of you, you haven't left home yet. So we put that on, a, on your sheet so you can see that. So decisions One, now are created by you as a couple. So we were, Sherry and I were at the end of our first year of marriage, second year of marriage, actually, I think it was. And uh, we were out to dinner with her, parent, her mom and her stepdad. And, and uh, we announced that we were going to spend the summer in the USSR. This is Soviet Union before it was broken up. Yes, we're that old. And, um, and, uh, and we said, we're going to go spend the summer there. We're leading a team of folks over there. Um, and we're really excited we're going to spend the summer in the USSR. And my mother-in-law looked at me and said, you are not taking my daughter to Russia. To which I said, she's my wife. To which Sherry said, I'm my own she person. She did. see this moment <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, she got a point there. Yeah. So, <laughs> you will make decisions that are not looked favorably by your family. They get challenged by others, and that was certainly one of those moments that was challenged, and we had to decide what were we going to do. Okay. Thirdly, uh, decisions that decisions that we make that might disappoint one of the families are conveyed by the son or the daughter, not the daughter or son-in-law. So if you're making a decision that's going to disappoint the parents, it's the son or daughter that conveys that information in a way that said, we've talked about this and we've decided, and <laughs> not throw your spouse under the bus. Well, I would like to come, Mom, but Mike really doesn't want to, <laughs> so we're not going to be there. And it's tempting to do that sometimes because you want to appease everybody, right? right? You don't want to disappoint your parents. <clears throat> so you throw your spouse under the bus. I would be there because I'm a loyal daughter, but he really doesn't want to come. So this is the way that it is. Yeah. So we've really, really avoided that. And so now we really try to stay on the same team about our decisions and say, like, we've, de we've decided that we are not going to be able to do that or I'm sorry that that's disappointing, but... We, I convey the bad news if it's to my family in a way that makes us sound like we're together on it. It's not that we're always together on it, because we're not always together on it. And that's well, which leads to the fourth thing. Okay, these are things that, that help us deal with this stuff, and that is that when there's disagreement, when there's disagreement between the family of origin and the spouse, align yourself with your spouse. Okay? Even if you don't completely agree, and discuss it later. Follow me on this one? We need to give the example on this one. So, so when there's a disagreement, okay, let's use Thanksgiving. Okay? okay. So Thanksgiving as the example. And your mom wants us to have Chinese food. <laughs> yes. That could happen in my family because we're chaotic. <laughs> it did happen at Christmas on the and, uh, and I always bring it up. hearing about that, by the way. <laughs> well, I'll say things like, your family has Chinese food on Christmas. It happened one time. <laughs> but let's say that your mom wants to have Chinese food on Thanksgiving, and you're kind of going inside, you're going, yeah, I'm kind of in the mood for a Chinese, <laughs> a Chinese Thanksgiving, too. 
And I'm over there going, no, my family has turkey. It's the same thing every year. It's been that way since I was born. We could videotape the holiday. I even say to Mike, like, we don't have to go to Christmas anymore. We could just videotape the whole just thing put and the just tape sit in. down and play it the it's next the year. It's the same. Our holidays are identical. It's the exact same. <laughs> so, so you know, because we know this about each other, you're over there going, Mike doesn't want Chinese food for Thanksgiving. But I'm kind of in the mood for Chinese food. How do you handle that with your mom? I'm not going to admit my, need, my desire for Chinese. We're like, <laughs> we really want turkey dinner, right? Yeah. And then we may go discuss it later and go, you know what? In our family, every once in a while doing something totally different, like Chinese for Thanksgiving might be a good thing. And I might kind of go, yeah, okay, it's okay. Then we come back again, being able to kind of be together. Are you following us on this example? Like, don't, don't put your spouse in an awkward position with your family, of being the one who's the, who's the butt, who's the kind of ass in the situation, okay? That's a difficult position to be in. We apologize for the tape, learner, take, tape, take it tape listeners. I think I said ash. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lighthearted example. I think when you move into your children, having children now, you will find that your parents, even if things are smooth sailing with your parents now, you will find out they have lots of opinions about child rearing and We've noticed, discipline. Yeah. And we noticed that parents don't have a ton of comments on marriage. They have a kajillion on parenting. Right. It is a weird thing that, that happens. So yeah. it's like they don't have any advice about it, but boy, do they think they know how to parent. So this you know? is when this aligning yourself with your spouse becomes really important. So. Yeah. Fifthly, financial dependence is avoided, and you guys talked about that one too. And financial gifts are not accepted when there are strings attached that will create a wedge between you. Some of you, some of you are like nodding, like knowing. So uh, I know in this day and age, um, houses are expensive. A lot of you, or maybe have already bought your own home, or you're thinking about that. And it's it's common in this day and age for parents to help you with your down payment. Our parents helped us with that. But we really had to talk about that. If we allow them to do this for us, what are going to be the repercussions of doing that? So we have to weigh carefully accepting these gifts and going, what is what are we going to be giving in return of accepting this Well, gift. and the reality is that sometimes you don't know that stuff until you start experiencing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might know that, well, if my mom, you know, pays for my flight, if your mom pays for our flight home from Colorado, will she expect us to see her all the time? Right. You know, that kind of a thing. Like, but we don't know that necessarily until you do it, until you start experiencing this in your family mm -hmm. about, so what is it, what are students, one of the other examples you talk about is like vacations. Right, yeah. A lot of times with people like, we would like you all to come on our vacation to Hawaii with us, and we're going to pay for you to come. And you, you only get those two weeks off for the whole year, so you're deciding, is this how we want to spend our vacation? But it's great. We're not making a lot of money. Everything's paid for, so that's awesome. And then you're realizing, oh, okay, well, every night's a family dinner. There's no date nights involved. And so you have to kind of weigh carefully what are we, when we accept something, what is, what's expected in return, and then deciding, is that how we really want to spend our only two weeks off that we have in a year? Yeah. Matter of fact, one couple we just, I just was interacting with in a situation, their, his family, when they get together family, they, they never see each other the whole time except for maybe what's agreed upon, like, hey, this night and this night we're going to have dinner. 
rest of the time, everybody does their own thing. Her family spends every minute together when they go somewhere, okay? And so, so first of all, they were dealing with that. Like, what? Like, they, were, they didn't know what to do. Like, that was hard. And then to throw into the whole mix was the fact that, that one of the families, when they helped finance the whole event, that's why they expect you to spend all the time together. Wow, now what do you do? Like, what do you do in that situation? Do you decide... No, we're just going to pay for it ourselves. How do you handle those types of situations? So we made a decision that financial dependence is avoided. Financial gifts are not accepted when there's strings attached, though it takes us time to begin to understand and make sense of exactly uh, what that means. So these are just some other thoughts that we had of things that have been really helpful to us as far as really making this in-law relationship a blessing. Um, to our lives. And one is a commitment to get to know your in-laws as people, to know their stories. A lot of times we just know them as a parent rather than as a person. And so we've really tried to make a commitment of getting to know their stories, their backgrounds, being able to have conversations with them when the other person isn't around. And I think we both really gained appreciation. Like, for example, Mike mentioned his dad being alcoholic. So Mike has a lot of baggage with his relationship with his dad. But I really, I really began to discover his dad being really sweet, and I would ask him questions that nobody in the family could get away with asking, and he would answer me. And we really had a pretty sweet relationship. And I was able to see things in his dad that Mike couldn't even see. Right. So, and the same is true with you and my mom. Well, yeah, then with Sherry's mom. Sherry's mom was the type of person who anytime we got in a car and left, it's like, is your seatbelt on? And she'd be out there checking. I mean, you would be adults, right? You'd be getting things like that. You'd get phone calls all the time. And she's the type of person who calls multiple times a day. And, and if you went on a trip and you said you're going to be back at 1 and it was one ten, she was calling the police. Mm-hmm. Type of person. I don't know if you have moms like that, you know. But, you know, and I was like, golly, this lady is overprotective. And then I sat down and talked with her one time. This is a Thanksgiving that I just had time just with her. It's when we lived in Colorado. And it's one of the great things is sometimes is people you get better time with family. And I started just asking her questions and talking to her. Like, well, I come to find out that her dad left when she was, went to get a pack of cigarettes when she was 14 years old and didn't come back for a few weeks. I mean, so you kind of go, well, that explains why you think anytime somebody's leaving, they're not coming back, you know? You know, and so you begin to kind of all of a sudden for this, like, why do you call and like, ah, let us be adults, you know? It's like, well, it makes sense why she's like that, you know? And so you kind of begin to discover that, wow, telling her, hey, you know, putting that phone call in, hey, we're going to be a few minutes late, kept her from calling four times or calling the police, you know, kind of deal. So things like that. Um, I'm just reading what's down there because we're, we're running out of time. So, Okay, I was, I was just going to say that to make a point to look for those positive things in your um, in-laws and communicate them to your spouse because this is oh, the place... Right. This is the place that has shaped them more than anything else. And so if you can find those qualities about your, your um, in-laws and communicate to them, it's, it's complementary to your spouse, too, because when you value them, you value your spouse. So looking for those things that are really positive and communicating that is really powerful. And I don't know if you're tracking this before we make our last little point here. If you're tracking some of this, is you'll notice that we've talked, we talked, First, a lot about moving away, leaving, and how important it is that we're developing this, this oneness with each other. It's the, what we like to call it's the we team, not the me team. It's, the, it's our, 
our family, not that family, that we, we need to develop and, and grow in. We're moving into this, but as we still deal with turning back to our families, there's things, there, there, there's, there's an understanding of learning to value another person's family, okay, that they came, that they came from. And, and the reason why we talk like this is because this is what begins to, for us, began to help really unite us together as a family, was there had to be this, this clear decision. We're, we can't do that because if we do it, it keeps us attached. But on the other hand, we had to begin to really learn to value the things that, that were, were important to, to, to our families. And, but it was me having to communicate that value to Sherry about what I valued about her family, the things that I valued as opposed to the things that were just difficult about the family. But it was also in Sherry, for example, with my father, helping me to see value in my father that I couldn't see and helping to open our eyes. And we talked about marriage being that way, something that transforms us, something that makes us more Christ-like and makes us more Christ-like in dealing with each other's family, but also our own families. That's right. Finally, you guys, some, sometimes physical distance uh, between a, 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 a new couple and their parents is the most uh, effective way in establishing a sense of family. We moved to Colorado. Not because of my family, but... <laughs> well... I'll that, those families. No, not because, yeah, not because of those families, but just because we had an opportunity to present itself, and we just thought that would be a really good yeah. thing for us. And they began to really see us as a family. So sometimes that physical distance that you all mentioned does help your families, your families of origin see you as an independent entity, and they mm -hmm. begin to see that you're functioning and you're independent, and um, they begin to treat you differently. Yeah. And if you're right next door and they're doing everything for you. That's right. All right. Any questions? I mean, we said a lot of stuff tonight. So I told you tonight would have a lot of information in it, rattling off everything. Yeah. Hypothetical situation. I mean, that's the thing is that we can't control how people respond to our decisions, right? All we can do is respectfully communicate those to us, but we can't, we can't be responsible for how people respond to the decisions that we make. So I think the only thing we can do is continue to be loving, continue to invite them, uh, if they live away, continue to invite them and just hope that over time they will realize how much they're missing out by making that decision to not respect your decision in this matter because, you know, I don't really know what you would say, Mike, but I, I think it's really difficult to um, let their behavior, you know, rob you of the joy that you have of developing your life here. And so instead of having your, instead of kind of savoring this time of life, it's you can be consumed with disappointing them, and that's really not your responsibility. Yeah. And I think time, I mean, it's one of those things, there's been a lot of things that, you know, this is kind of the big brother, you know, big brother, big sister moments where you kind of, on one hand, kind of go, does time heal all wounds? No, but it heals a lot of them. And it's not so much a healing as much as, 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 as you kind of earn the, 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 you kind of earn the, the right or the, earn the decision that you made 
because you uh, because they see you as more mature and growing up. Um, and so I think that's part of it. You kind of got to just wait it out a little bit. Uh, you know, th there's a lot of things parents like that just have a tendency to not believe, but they do believe over time. Um, but again, that doesn't mean by through distance, though. I think that's where, for Sherry and I, be, learning to kind of to to say, okay, we're we did go to Russia, by the way, and we did it twice, two different times, and then I did move to Colorado. And not only was Sherry's family like going, "What do you mean you're moving to Colorado?" My family said it to me. I mean, my family. I mean, they all live within about you know five square miles. I mean, very close family. And so they're like, what are you doing moving to Colorado? You know, And so that was really challenging. But when all of a sudden they would come and visit us and our time together for those three days or that seven days that we were together was better than two hours at a birthday party my family with 47 people at. It wasn't a very you know, touching moment. But when all of a sudden you have these more intimate moments and we created more space like that, when we would come home, we made a point to say, no, we're going to spend specific time with the parts of our family instead of hangout, which is what you get a lot of times when you live close to people. And I think my family, I think our families discovered that too. Wow, there's something valuable in that. But whatever it might be for you, but it's kind of like living, living out some of those things over time. Uh, if there's any ways in which you showed you know, disrespect, and, and not by their definition, your definition, like, and maybe my, or somebody who can sit with you can, can assess. But if there is disrespect on your part, then I would clean that up. You know, if you felt like you, you know, you, there's definitely times where I've had to go back and apologize, you know, and say, you know, that was immature on my part to say that or to do that. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't want to do it like that again. But at the same time, we're still going to do this decision, you know. And also compassion, understanding why you, that you know it's disappointing for them. Like if our girls decide, and they could very well decide that they're going to go live in Arizona for their first few years of married life someday, and we're going to have to deal with that. But, and, and that would be disappointing because we envision them being close, but that, that, that doesn't mean that you know, we ha we'll have to deal with that. But also just acknowledging the disappointment. Like we know that this isn't what you had dreamed of, and you know, we're sorry that it's not. Yeah. Project? Other long stuff on a Sunday night. On your project, there's project number two. You'll see that there's some things to do there, but there's also some things at the bottom. We're going to leave you with that and, uh, and, be, and be done for the night since most of us have to get up and go to work in the morning. Um, but uh, we'll be back in two weeks, right? Same place, same time.